0: And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf. Joining me in the studio today is the Reverend Mark Diedrich. Mark, it's great to have you with us.
1: It's good to be here, Dan.
0: Well, whenever I see you, I know we have a very interesting historical discussion coming up. (laughs) And I'm looking at the calendar. Today's the weekend prior to thanksgiving and that's a really really important day in american history and so no surprise god willing we'll be talking about thanksgiving today where do we start mark
1: well i mean we talk about thanksgiving and of course traditionally it's always been that thanksgiving that the pilgrims had with the Indians, after they landed and after they had a difficult time surviving that first winter, uh, they did survive it. Uh, They lost half their people. Mm -hmm. But, of course, they had a a good uh, summer. They were able to grow crops. They – God provided in so many ways, from from Squanto uh, being there who could speak English and uh, help them to – acclimate themselves to to the new land, to good crops, to being able to settle in, to having some some, uh, good relations for the most part with the tribes that were there, the Wampanoag Mm -hmm. uh, tribe that was there. So you have that kind of Thanksgiving. Of course, there are many Thanksgivings throughout the history until it became official, but the Thanksgiving that we think of is this one between the pilgrims and the Indians there.
0: Yeah, that's kind of neat. Now, you mentioned an uh, interesting Indian name. Can you tell us a little bit more about this? Who was it, Squanto?
1: Well, Squanto was was an Indian who had been captured. Actually, twice he was captured and taken away and made a slave. Hmm. You know, some of these... Traitors! Some of the Europeans that would come over would do that, and it was it was a horrific thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it saved his life, though. Okay, the one instance because uh, simply because after he had been enslaved, and of course, then he learned English. He was over in Europe, and then he learned English. He comes back to find that his entire tribe had been wiped out by smallpox. Mm. So if he'd been with them, he'd been wiped out it's with them, true. probably, yeah. uh, but with the small. That doesn't justify the slavery, but no, There was not. a providential absolutely. blessing it, through it. That's the point. That's the key point. It's a providential thing that even in some of these yeah. tragedies, God brings out something that's, that's really good and, and useful. And so suddenly um, the pilgrims, I believe, were met by Samoset, who knew a little bit of English, but then Squanto came, and squanto amazing—who was very fluent in English, and so that—that that was a tremendous help for the Pilgrims. Oh yeah, at, at that time. Now the time frame, sixteen twenty-one. Yeah, and so you have sixteen twenty-one where they land. They were trying to to land uh, down at Jamestown, and gotcha. uh, the got steered off course. They're landing in the fall, and it's too late to try to correct that, and so they decided to settle at Plymouth Rock. Now, these pilgrims, they were Christians. Yeah, they're Christians. They're they're Puritans who actually, I'm, I'm looking at the 1621, it would be under King James I, and so when you're looking at, at a situation there, the Anglican Church, is the church in England. Right. They didn't like the Puritans. They didn't really like these guys. No, no, they didn't really like them. So and they because wanted to that, the boot. they the they, <laughs> they suffered a lot of persecution, so right. they went to Holland. And, okay. And when they were in Holland, that wasn't a panacea for them either. Mm-hmm. They had to work really hard. They wanted their children brought up in an English culture. Mm-hmm. And so the opportunity to go to this new world, uh, they jumped at that.
0: Yeah, you know, this This reminds me of a question. I'm just going to throw it out. This is totally unrehearsed. Is it wrong to want to protect your own culture?
1: I don't think so. I, uh-huh. I mean, you, you, the culture that you have, and of course cultures are always changing, but the, sure. the, I think there are certain things that in your heritage – that you see and, and you like, and of course uh, they wanted their children speaking english, of course the, mm-hmm. that's the, the Bible that they brought was an english bible
0: now you have a, you have a broad background in terms of missions too, so I know it's rather a loaded yeah. question, but uh, I think it would apply towards uh, another country too, any other country you know there there is advantages to uh, borders and cultures and oh and, yes. and languages.
1: Oh, yes. that's. I mean, you have that whether you want it or not. I mean, ever since we had the Tower of Babel, we have languages and we have uh, divisions because of that. And it's going to be that way until until Christ's second coming.
0: So what happened at the Tower of Babel? Just so our listeners have that fresh on their mind.
1: <laughs> right. Well, at the Tower of Babel, they, the people got together and decided that they were really something great and said we're going to build this tower up into to heaven and yeah. uh, there's nothing that will that we can't do and god said oh yeah <laughs> guess what i'm just yeah. going to change your all your languages you and so so you know just try to imagine building a a building and the guy that comes up to you speaking a foreign language completely different and and, and you know, you can't communicate, you can't right. coordinate anything um, because of, of the lack of communication. And, and what that's a blessing it that. is
0: to have the same language. Absolutely. It, it, it's um, it's a blessing of God, and here it became a curse, his curse of, of um, all these languages so that right. he... He effectively stopped that proudful project back right. at the Tower of Babel. It was a judgment. It was. It was. So uh, we always want to be humble, and right. proud in God, yeah. but humble about ourselves. So we're today we're talking about the pilgrims. And, of course, uh, coming up is Thanksgiving, and it's always a delightful time in American history, or it should be, uh, families getting together. Yeah, and by the way, before I forget, what do you guys do for Thanksgiving in the uh, Diedrich household?
1: <laughs> Karen's working this Thanksgiving. <laughs> so, oh, yes. So my wife is working, so she's she's on duty. Well, you so must have, have a not celebration now, at another time. Now, what we used to do uh, for Thanksgiving when we lived in the Midwest, and that's where most of Karen's family is, Right. What we used to do is we used to get together. All her family would come to our house oh, in Paxton, nice. Illinois, and they would they would come and they'd all have you know they signed what they were going to be bringing for the food and everything, and nothing was really going to happen. Some of them came and stayed overnight. One of my elders in the church would always go out to Colorado to see his daughter. And while he was out to Colorado we had use of his house. Oh, that's nice. For some of our relatives to to stay in that house. Plus we had another thing which you'll appreciate, Dan. Um and so What's we said target practice? Yes, that's right. And Oh so, I love that. And so what we would do is we would come together and of course I'm a morning person, so I was always get up and go pheasant hunting in the morning. That's nice. Yep, and then then we would get together and, you know, as a family, just share God's blessings around the table. And then after the lunch was done, the Thanksgiving feast was done, we would go out to the Hasselbring place and we would uh, shoot guns. That's very funny. We would have target practice. We'd have a little clay pigeons going That's and nice. and then uh, Jerry would loan us his M1 Garand and and oh, we yeah. would uh, shoot off a bunch of uh, shells with his M1 Garand and then it, in the it, evening it, yeah. the the local bowling alley although it really wasn't open would open for us and let us have oh, a type of bowling. Nice. It was a really wonderful fellowship time.
0: Really, really nice memories. So, today we're talking about the pilgrims <laughs> all the way back in 1621, kind of bringing it forward. Now, um, I seem to recall years ago we did an episode talking about this, and uh, didn't they do some target practice way back then?
1: <laughs> they always uh, one of the things that they always required, even when they're going to church, is you had to bring your gun. Ah, that makes sense. Yeah, they they would use what we call the old matchlocks. Yes, that's what they had. That that was a very primitive muzzle loading gun mm-hmm. at that time. And then also they had, of course they they had their sword which was the oh, Bible, yes, yes, and of course that's they had a rather compact edition of the Geneva Bible, 1599 edition of the Geneva Bible. Oh, I'm glad you mentioned that.
0: Now, In the context of the pilgrims, tell us more about this Bible.
1: Right. Well, what happened with that, of course, the first English Bible that we have was the John Wycliffe, and that was 1384. Now, that's okay. before Gutenberg's printing press. And of course, that was banned, and people were killed for owning a copy of that. And so, what happened then after that and the Reformation started? William Tyndall said, you know, people need the Bible. That's what they really need. And so he translated the Bible. Well, in 1536, 1535, he was captured in 1536, he was, he was executed, strangled, in, and burned at the stake. Just because he uh, translated the Bible. He translated the Bible. That's not a into, very nice thing into, to do to into, into English. And so it was very dangerous at that time. His last words purportedly were, open the eyes of the king of England. Huh. Well, lo and behold, Henry VIII, three years later, of course, at by that time, Henry VIII had uh, <clears throat> broken some ties with the uh, Catholic Church and uh-huh. decided he was head of the Catholic Church because oh, he wanted to marry Anne Boleyn. He had put away his uh, first wife, Catherine of Aragon. And so now his advisor said, you know, you ought to have a Bible, an English Bible, in every church. Yes. And so – with that, in 1539, we have the Great Bible, sometime called Cranmer's Bible. Cranmer did it, but it was actually Miles Coverdale, who was probably one of the major uh, translators of it. Mm-hmm. Well, King Henry VIII dies. Edward the Sixth, his son takes over, but he doesn't last very long, and then Bloody Mary takes over. Oh my! And so she's Catholic, and she is she kills uh, a lot of the uh, the Protestants. And so a lot of the Protestants flee to Geneva. And You know, uh, you know
0: i got to interrupt you here. You know, I was kidding before, offline, talking about uh, shooting the foot of your pastor. To- <laughs> totally a joke. But um, in our day and age, I'm seeing such hatred, and vile hatred, that it leads to killing. And it oh, really, yeah. really concerns me that um, people – can't keep their cool. Uh, this right. is a serious problem today, but it, go ahead. We're, we're talking today, obviously, about the pilgrims and the first Thanksgiving. Right.
1: So what happens there is in Geneva, uh, a number of them start working. The main the main translator was William Whittingham, and William Whittingham translated the Bible uh, into English, using a lot of what Wycliffe uh, had done. And so he's he's got the Geneva Bible, and he's mm-hmm. Um, and it came out in 1560. And so this was the Bible that the Puritans used. This is the Bible that, that they gravitated to, and this is the Bible that they really liked. it's so interesting. It, it was a good Bible, except it had some notes on the side that didn't really sit well with uh, some of the monarchy and some of the <laughs> Episcopalian hierarchy. Oh, yeah. And so uh, they never liked it. Eventually... Uh, it was the Bible of the realm, if you will, even though Bishop's Bible, Matthew Parker, oh, something I can't remember, mm-hmm. um, he came out with a Bible, but it never got traction. So no. eventually, when King James I took over after uh, Queen Elizabeth I passed away in sixteen three, they had the Hampton Court Conference in sixty five. the Puritans go there thinking – Here's this James. He's he's Scottish, mm-hmm. and they were thinking like he's he's probably Presbyterian, so he's going to help us out. Uh huh. Not so. He did not way. like the Puritans one
0: bit. Isn't that interesting? How sometimes your assumptions go in a certain direction, and yeah. you start building plans based on those assumptions, but you've never verified the base assumptions. <laughs>
1: right. And so, so they kept. You know, giving proposals, and he'd shoot them down left and right. And he says, well, finally, he said, well, maybe we should have a new translation of the English Bible. Mm-hmm. I, you know, people look at this that different ways. I think most people look at it as a concession to the Puritans. I look at it as a kick in the teeth. Hmm. Because they already had their Bible. Yes. It was a Geneva Bible. And when the the pilgrims brought the Geneva Bible, they brought the 1599 edition. I actually have a page of one. I have a page of a a 1599 edition. It was a small, rather compact Bible. So it wasn't one of these big folios that uh, a a lot of back then uh, were made. But it's a 1599. And so they brought that to the united states that's remarkable and and of course many of them would have nothing to do with that liberal king james bible
0: isn't that that's also fascinating because uh there is a segment that still says oh that's the that's the holy bible it's got to be the the king King james James. but (laughs) this is a different story here
1: right Uh, exactly and so but the way things went in those days with the printing of of Bibles and everything, you had to have official sanction. So eventually, since the King James Bible was official, the Geneva Bible quit being printed. Uh And the other thing... There's some politics going on Oh, yeah, there is. And the other thing that people don't realize that was you had to get the official approval from the crown to print that Bible in English. Wow. And consequently, all the Bibles that were in the United States, came from Europe.
0: Oh, that's interesting.
1: Until the American Revolution, until... Had to wait that long. Yeah, almost the end of the American oh, Revolution, my. because what happened then is the... Well, the first, I think, Robert Aiken was a guy who started printing the Bible in English mm-hmm. first, and I think his first full Bible editions were somewhere around 1782. Eighty-two, eighty-three, 83, mm-hmm. somewhere's in there. Well, that's right near the end of the American Revolution. Well, sure. I had an interesting thing I had uh, while I was substituting in one of the history classes. There was a question there. What was the second most published work mm-hmm. right before the American Revolution? And, of course, the answer is common sense, Thomas Paine. Mm-hmm. And I challenged him. I says, I don't think it was the second most published. Mm-hmm. He, of course, he said, well, what, he asked the question to the class, what was the first most published? Sad to say, nobody piped up with the mm-hmm. Bible. And he says, well, it was the Bible. And I says, I think you're wrong. <laughs> the Bible wasn't published in America yet in English. The first Bible that was published in America was published in 1663, huh. and it was by John Eliot, and it was in, in the Algonquin language, Indian Oh, that's amazing. Yeah.
0: And and this, this shows something here. Our listeners may not realize this, but you have a very wide background in studying the Indians, and uh, you did some, some university work on that. So um, it's always very interesting to hear you talk about the Indians. But today we're talking about uh, the first Thanksgiving and the pilgrims, and you've also mentioned the Indians that were there for that first celebration. Um, let me ask you this: what, what kind of food did they have?
1: Okay, yeah, I have a, you know, research that I've seen this before, but I do know they may well have had turkeys. Uh, there was probably a lot of waterfowl, mm-hmm. uh, wildfowl that the, that they were able to shoot. I can tell you that uh, almost of a certainty they did not have pheasant mm-hmm. for for dinner because pheasant is a Chinese bird that's imported. Oh, that's interesting, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah, pheasant's not native to the United oh, States. Okay. So even though I hunt pheasant, yeah. used to hunt pheasant on on Thanksgiving morning, uh, they wouldn't have had it. But they would have had wild turkey. Yeah, there were wild turkeys in there. You uh, know,
0: I'm, I'm amazed here in America. Um, in the northeast where we live uh, compared to when i was young it seems like we have more turkeys now
1: yes we do we do they they've been working with stocking and, and i'm they, not talking just
0: about the politicians in washington
1: and <laughs> <laughs> we have that too <laughs> yes indeed uh, i i think part of it was that they they the populations got knocked down and now yes through conservation efforts the uh, we have a lot more turkeys that's now good. but venison definitely they brought yeah. the indians brought i think like five deer or something like that and you know they so you had a, a lot of venison for now
0: correct me if i'm wrong here too both uh wild turkey and venison are very healthy meats
1: yes yeah. yes they are uh the reason for that, especially with venison, is, well, it's organic. There are no antibiotics in there. No. That. And the other thing is that the fat content of oh, venison yeah. is much lower than it is for, for a beef animal.
0: That's right. So so if you're accustomed to taking simvastatin, if you're on a diet of venison, perhaps it would do away with that.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: Who knows? Who knows?
1: Yeah. That, that would well, be
0: good. Um, we've only got a few minutes left. This has gone relatively fast. Um, any other takeaways that you want us to have as we look back at that first Thanksgiving?
1: Well, when you look at that first Thanksgiving, the the big thing that the, the pilgrims did is they were thanking, yes, they were thankful to the Indians, but they thanked God. They realized that everything that they had and they lived and moved, it was God. And they did everything to the honor and glory of God. And they desired yes. at the same time to spread the good news of Jesus Christ, his death, his resurrection, for the re- redemption, our redemption, take away our sins. And they and they did want to spread it to the Indians. Oh, yeah. And they did. And that's one of the things that people say, well, yeah, they talk about that. But that's, they, no, they did. No, they was, really did. That was did. warp
0: Six, and woof of their lives.
1: 1663 is the first Indian translation. That's only... 42 years after the Pilgrims first landed. That's an amazing, I think that's amazing. Plus, John Elliott wasn't the only one. The Mayhews, and then later you had all kinds of different groups reach out, and then in different parts of American Pennsylvania, when the, um, and actually in this area in New York, the uh, Lenny Lenape, the, the Delaware Indians, were reached by the Moravians. The Moravians came and had a, a very strong mission among them, and uh, many different tribes were reached by, by the settlers. So we, we did have a lot of outreach uh, that occurred in colonial America towards those people who were already here.
0: Yeah, it's, it's a beautiful thing, and yeah. uh, yes, there certainly was a thankfulness to God For the Indians coming and helping. right? But the primary focus of the Thanksgiving was to God. Right. And here we're talking about the triune God of the Scriptures. Absolutely. Who reveals himself as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Uh, He's the the God who seeks after his people. And uh, it's a a
1: beautiful thing. Because they realized that even though this was their new home, it was just temporary because they have a heavenly home. Yeah. And that that's, was the focus of their lives. And, and correct me if I'm
0: wrong here, too. Um, having all of that and knowing that we have a heavenly home, did that um, tell them, oh, you don't need to build civilization here. You don't need to build houses and churches and businesses and that sort of thing.
1: No, what it told them is that you build it to the honor and glory of God. Exactly. And that's, they consider themselves to be a city on a hill, yeah, And in many ways, they were. They you know, were.
0: this excites me. I, I hope to God, pray to God, for this sort of vision today. You know, the young people coming up today mm-hmm. uh, in Christian homes can catch the vision of building to the glory of God. Whatever, um, whatever sphere of influence you have, do it all to the glory of God.
1: And that's it. Whether you eat or drink, whatsoever you do, you do all to the glory of God. When we look at business and you see what businesses do, and I I know a Mm -hmm. a gentleman who used to teach a course called Business by the Book. Maybe he still does. Mm -hmm. Wonderful, godly man. And the bottom line for a businessman that's a Christian is not the most money, but Mm. the greatest honor and glory to God.
0: That's really a neat Goal, and it's the right goal. I'm looking at the clock. Today we've been talking with Mark Diedrich. Pastor Mark Diedrich, I want to thank you very much for joining us. And um, just really quick... um, What are you going to have for Thanksgiving while your wife
1: is out? I don't know. (laughs) I may sneak out and go hunting, though. There you go. I'm not surprised. (laughs) And and who knows, maybe whatever I get, that's what I'll eat. There you
0: go. (laughs) Dear listener, thank you for joining us today for A Plain Answer. Please join us next week at this same time. May the Lord bless you and keep you and grant you a happy Thanksgiving.
1: Amen.